Hi everyone, this is Working Title, the podcast where we, four intrepid, handsome, intelligent, and entirely fraudulent reviewers, watch and review IMDb's top 250 English language movies as of November 2019, going from bottom to top. So watch along with us, and... Am I really going to have to sing Barbara Streisand? I don't, I don't know if I'm drunk enough to do that voice. Alright everyone, uh, alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of Working Title. Oh fuck, I have to open the Google Drive. I like uh, your, your first version of it where you hi everyone! <laughs> hi guys! <laughs> <laughs> alright, um, we'll edit it in post. Anyway, welcome back everyone to another week of Working Title, um, episode number 28 for us. Uh, this week, we are watching and reviewing uh, the movie Dances with Wolves from 1990 with Kevin Costner and crew, uh, rated pretty well by the good people of IMDb. Of course, this podcast, we watch and review the top 250 English language movies on IMDb, even this though this movie was uh, about 45% Sue. Um, so what is Dances with Wolves? Uh, it is... A, well, at this point, it's a classic story of a man who uh, goes to live at the American frontier and finds he has more in common with, the, in this case, the Sioux, um, who are, you know, native to the frontier and uh, kind of becomes one of them to uh, and defends them against, you know, his own people, all that stuff, right? Um, but before we get too far into it, uh, we'll introduce the reviewers here in the studio. And much as we've seen Dances with Wolves in Space with Avatar, Dances and Wolves in, you know, the earlier American history of Pocahontas, Dances with Wolves in Japan with The Last Samurai, Dances with Wolves in Africa and Russians with Red Scorpion. Um, our prompt today is what time or genre or place would you transplant the plot of Dances with Wolves to make yet another cash-in blockbuster movie? I'll start. My name is Jack, and if I had to rehash the plot of Dances with Wolf somewhere, I would choose uh, a pirate. Pirate movie, Pirates of the Caribbean. A British naval officer goes to uh, Tortuga, gets captured, decides he's really a pirate at heart, and rebels against the crown. <clears throat> the kind isn't of that like that. the birth yeah, of pirate? A, isn't, that, isn't that Pirates of the Caribbean? <laughs> Didn't didn't Will Turner join the pirates and eventually become a pirate himself? I mean, it's a full, foolproof way to make money. All right, well, I, I'd we, watch we can't movie. get too deep into this because we will eventually discover that every movie is dances with wolves. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Who's next? Shane. Hi, I'm Shane, and I would do uh, dances with zombies, where a man living becomes a zombie in order to lead his. Uh, zombies against the living again you're just talking about how zombies work <laughs> yes the core concept of zombies would lend itself to the plot of dances <laughs> well presumably he spends some time fighting the zombies and then discovers he that lives with the zombies first before converting <laughs> what he learned about the zombies was not true yeah he eats with the zombies he marries one <laughs> <laughs> he he learns about their rich culture and <laughs> and then and, you know eventually eats everybody yeah. as a zombie. June, 
Hi, I'm June. Um, I would set this uh, Dances with Wolves um, in the early Reconstruction period, immediately following the Civil War. Mm. But it would be about a Sioux warrior named Dances with Wolves who develops <laughs> a relationship with a company of U.S. Army cavalry. <laughs> and he slowly becomes uh, one of them until they give him a battlefield commission and give him the name John Dunbar. <laughs> oh, no. Dances with Wolves is just a circular story where he keeps switching sides. <laughs> Trading in a wife. <laughs> well played, good sir. What would you call this movie, June? John Dunbar. John Dunbar. <laughs> How does he get the name John Dunbar? How how does he get the the name from the the troop of cavalry? Uh, we'll, we'll we'll hash that out in the writing room. <laughs> That's all I got is a pitch. Okay, <laughs> Mike. Oh no! Hi, I'm Mike, and I didn't understand this prompt completely. So I would do uh, a version of Dances with Wolves indoctrinated into the Toy Story universe, where a person has to go and join the toys and eventually become a toy. How, how's that? No, this isn't Lars and the Real Girl. That's re- reverse Lars and the Real Girl. Oh my god. I like that one, Mike. Thanks. <laughs> fucking killing me, man. It's like small soldiers. Oh, oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god, that's another Dances with Wolves. <laughs> no, the Gorgonites, damn it. God damn it. <laughs> oh my god. All right, so we kind of ran through uh, what this movie is about uh, and every other movie. Um, but I, I guess just in general, this is this may have been the first movie to really do it in a big way, maybe. Um but yeah, it's it's the story of a man who who leaves civilization behind, goes to live at the frontier, and finds the people out there are somehow, you know, better company than civilization, and becomes one with their ways, or just better than sitting alone naked. Yeah, that too. I I, I really don't know what more <laughs> to say about it than that. It's it's by Kevin Costner, directed, produced by, and starred in. Um, adapted from a book that was originally written to be a play but or originally written as a screenplay so it it had a lot of an interesting production story but leaving that aside mike do you want to tell us what happens in this movie so the movie starts out in 1863 uh with lieutenant john dunbar and he has been wounded in battle and he's in the uh the medic's tent um at his camp so at the very beginning it shows some doctors removing his boot where he has like a pretty bad wound on his leg. And they're about to amputate his foot when the doctors uh, decide to go and have a coffee break. So they leave John on the gurney um, until they finish their coffee. And he kind of looks out, sees a bunch of other soldiers that have lost limbs, and decides that he would rather die than lose his foot. So he puts on his boot, goes back out to the front, and uh, steals a horse that he rides across the the battlefield where the, you have the Confederates and the Union kind of uh, at a standoff. So John's out there on, or he's out there on his horse, and the uh, the Confederates they start opening fire on John as he's riding back and forth. Essentially, he's he's just kind of he's done with it. He's going to go out by suicide rather than lose his leg. Uh, just out of pure luck, all of the bullets miss John, and he distracts the enemy long enough that the uh, the Union, they kind of get rallied up and they do an assault across the field and uh, they 
force the Confederate forces to retreat. Due to this, John is given a uh, accommodation, or sorry, uh, he he gets uh, essentially he gets seen doing this by the general of the Union forces, and the general comes down and instead of you know removing his foot, he brings his own doctor over, and they they essentially save his foot, and he gets a citation for bravery for for his act of distracting the Confederate forces and allowing the Unions to attack, uh, as well as getting the horse Costco to go with them. Uh, wherever he wants. Is that its name? Cisco. Cisco. Oh. So with Costco in hand. I was like, man, the corporate branding in this movie is really a bit much. <laughs> so so Dunvar then, uh, he, he also has his choice of where he wants to be um, sent out to be stationed, and he chooses to go to the frontier. Um, through his kind of his own explanation of who he is and his narrative his narrative of his story it's very obvious that he wants to be in the frontier because he wants solitude and to get away from uh life with i guess the the union army so they send him out to fort hayes which is it's a larger fort it's right on the brink of the of the uh, frontier um where he meets up with his major who's in charge there um his name is i think fambro and fambro's this i don't know he's he's this kind of crazy guy he it's obvious that he's been stationed there and he doesn't like it it's just, even though it's a bigger fort it's definitely on the on the cusp of nowhere um so dunvar asks um fambro if he can go and be stationed at the furthest outpost uh, fort sedwick and you know do his rest of his term there so major fambro uh, agrees and uh, sends him and is the out to go with Tim uh, I think his name is T- T- Tim Timmins Timmins he goes with Timmins to travel out to this fort right uh, while he's leaving you see the major shoot himself in the head which plays an interesting plot later on so Timmins and Dunbar uh, go across the prairie out to you know a couple days journey out to this this deserted fort when they get there they find that um, there's nobody there as I said it was deserted and so Dunbar decides that he's going to stay regardless, even though there's no other people there, and tells Timmins to unload, unload the wagon provisions and sends them back to the city. Um, so Dunbar sets up base, and Timmins goes back. Uh, the next day, we see that Timmins is actually ambushed by some of the Pawnee tribe and is killed. So at this point, now nobody knows Dunbar is out at this fort. So no more... Uh, soldiers are actually going to come out there to assist him because nobody knows he's even there. The only two people who knew was the Major and Timmons, and they're both dead now. Um, so oh, so that's why Dunbar a... ends up being alone for the for the rest of the ha- first half of the movie. It's oh. a pretty good uh, kind of pausing point. A lot but... to talk about. Yeah, I, I want to highlight that Mike covered this in about, you know, two, maybe three minutes. This took about 50, yeah. I think. We're about an hour in right now. Um, this movie is slow paced. And what a stupid opening. <laughs> like, that's how he proved his bravery in battle? Was riding around, like, with his arms up, just getting shot at, and no one hits him? Like, yeah, but look they at the, look at the rest of the scene of him, like, showing bravery or, like, proving himself as an officer and say, so, yeah, fuck it. I don't, I don't think like, that was the point. Yeah, I should, think the you, point was that he stumbled into an act of bravery without trying to actually. He was literally trying to kill himself. Yeah, but dumb. and also the it, major <laughs> that was in charge there was a piece of shit. The guy was like, it showed the major who was in charge of the line, and he was 
he had no idea what to do. And, and I think uh, the other guy, the one of his sergeants was talking to him and being like, yeah, he's he's going to have to come up with some plan to show the general to to like, you know, prove to the general that he's he's in charge here. And, you know, it's going to just get everybody killed. So, I mean, I, go on ahead, June. Um, I'm, I'm about to change topics. So you go ahead. Yeah, I, w- I was going to talk a- just a little bit more about this scene. I didn't love this scene. Um, it kind of felt like a bit of a weird setup. I just thought the soundtrack as he charged in was a little incongruous. It was like kind of like a... It was almost sort of like a... Yeah, like vaguely inspiring Hallmarky sort of soundtrack. This but whole movie was. The whole soundtrack of this movie was. It didn't quite land like he was doing anything brave or anything desperate or heroic. Like... It just kind of felt out of place. And then I also found it amusing as like they saw his distraction and then like this platoon of men ran over kind of running and gunning, which was a infamous civil war tactic. Um, <laughs> but that yeah, that's all I had to say about it. I, I just felt like it was a little odd. Like I, I, get the intent and i think it's a good setup for the story but the execution felt a little off to me i have a i have a problem with the uh the the end there when you know the general comes up to him um and he 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 tells his aide to to bring up my ambulance and the aide is like what (laughs) like it's some kind of like egregious fucking thing to like sir he's just a commoner And he's an officer. <laughs> is this like a one-time use ambulance or something? Like, <laughs> the witch only has a certain amount of spells. <laughs> you only have two lives remaining, sir. <laughs> so I don't know what it says about me or the movies I watch, but when that general showed up and talked, somehow I was like surprised he didn't have a British accent. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> but then that made it even funnier when he went to the frontier with uh, Major Fambro, who was talking in a British accent. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so anyway. <clears throat> something I liked about the beginning was that um, I think it was when it was showing the Confederate Army, um, their commander was... Um, Tucker? Uh, I think... No, it was... It, whatever it was. The thing I liked about the battle was it showed a lot about what the Civil War was a, was really like, where the commanders knew each other, which is neat in my opinion. I think that's very interesting when it comes to combat, that these commanders are like, oh, those are so-and-so's men. It's like, oh, what is he doing here? And I thought that was pretty neat that it kind of plays into Kevin Costner's John Dunbar, where they don't want to be there. These are, I mean, the Civil War is such a horrific thing. It was people who were friends at some point sometimes fighting against each other, and that showed Dunbar's you know desire to just get away from all this bullshit and go to the frontier. So it did set yeah. up his leaving right this battle was stupid it was dumb that he rode his horse out there and tried to get himself killed and it makes sense for him to like go to the frontier after that and doesn't he say like the line like i want to go before it's gone right so so essentially in dunbar's head he's dead right he tried to kill himself so he's he's out of there he's he wants to go do something else and that's what really this whole movie is about and that's why he ends up he does indeed do something else he does he chooses a different job I want the I want the group to I want to retitle this movie to a simple man and his horse. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's the most simple man ever. And Dances that's with not... Hildalgo. <laughs> Hildalgo. <laughs> so that's not that's not like all that far off. because um, you can you know, like you said, he's disenfranchised a little bit and like he really just 
wants to be alone for a minute, but then fucking Timmons, man. Uh. Dude, the whole time through that ride, I would have been like, okay, so we're on the frontier. Next nearest town is X amount of miles away. I could kill him. I could kill him right here. <laughs> Nobody would know. That guy was so goddamn annoying. I would just like to borrow a quote from Lord of the Rings in describing Timmons. That the mightiest man may be slain by one arrow, but Timmons was pierced by many. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'd like to bring that up, too. When the when the Pawnee, um, the, I guess the band of Pawnee guys uh, led by, I don't actually know if he has a name, but he's played by Wes Studi. And Wes Studi being like the quintessential, like, badass Native American character, uh, typecast that way, at least. Um it was cool, like, they, they established the, I guess, the villainy of that particular band of warriors early on, but, like, some of the assumptions they make are, like, <laughs> you know, if, I think he, he says, like, only a white man would light a fire to, for everyone to see. I'm like, ah! You ever, I mean, like, try to light a fire, man? Like, <laughs> um, and then one of the, one of the other warriors is like, what if there, no, there's probably two or three like what? <laughs> how do you how do you extrapolate that? She could have more than one. <laughs> I feel like that was kind of a, a a shitty Native American stereotype that like they yeah I I don't know I didn't well, like the the portrayal of the Pawnee very much. I did like the juxtaposition though of because the scene right before uh, Dunbar lights a giant like bonfire and right. is kind of like worried about the smoke. Then it cuts to that scene, but it turns out the smoke that they were seeing was Timmons's. Yeah, they only right. saw Timmons, not the giant bonfire next to Timmons. Which we <laughs> well, yeah. so so yeah. So Dunbar, when he's at his camp, he finds that dead, uh, you know, elk in his in his water source. So he drags the elk out. Um, first off, like that's a, quite a feat, <laughs> dragging a corpse out of like a bog, and so was he drags that, it up to a hill and was burns that them it. Poisoning the water supply. I think it was just a. Well, maybe, but I think just it was just a dead animal. Could be just a dead. Animal. Who knows? Um, I think like the, the you know, you're talking about the Pawnee being kind of like portrayed in a certain way. I think the Sioux and the Pawnee were very similar, so I think that it it was it was cool that they they made it look like you were going about how Dunbar was burning that the the corpse, and it made it seem like the Pawnee were looking at his camp, but then it turned out just to be Timmons, um, which makes sense because later on we find out that Dunbar's living on Sioux land. Right, yeah, they were just as equally uh, territorial as the Pawnee in the film, um, but in this case, it's not. You know, the, the the little points in this movie, and they do this a lot, and I think it was actually a bad thing that they did in this film, was they tried to create this tense scenarios throughout the film, and then just immediately like played it off like it wasn't him. They, I think they did it three times, where they made it look like it was Dunbar who was about to be either attacked or killed. And then they, they're like, oh, but it wasn't him. Mm-hmm. I think it was a bad overplayed trope in this film. I might be out of it a little bit because I was looking at my phone for about three quarters of this movie. Just because so like of two the hours? Long, yeah, the long scenes. I'd be like, I wonder what's going on in the sports world. I noted that down. Um, that Shane was on his phone the whole time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when he first gets to the camp, like within three minutes, we as the viewers are like, okay, he's got a lot of work ahead of him, mm-hmm. you know. He's alone. We get it. 
But then for the next like 30 minutes, it's just day after day of his just menial chores, you know? It's like, we get it. It's not Castaway. Like, (laughs) you set the stage early. You chose this. You chose this life. You didn't get stuck here. (laughs) So I do agree. I feel conflicted about this, and I'll be upfront. This is a movie that I wasn't sure if I liked it but wanted to hate it or hated it but wanted to like it. Um. Mm. I feel strange saying that this movie was so slow paced when I gripe about other movies not taking room to breathe so often, but this one was like taking real deep breaths. <laughs> it was like, in six, out six. <laughs> it, yeah, it was like it was pretty and the cinematography was good, but it would just spend 15 minutes on a four minute scene, you know? Like, yeah. I could look down and like make my dinner and come back and yep, they're still chasing Buffalo. Like there's, (laughs) he's like still repairing fences. Part of me wonders if like attention spans were just longer in the nineties. No, I think this is well known. I mean, even as a kid, I remember people talking about how goddamn long this movie was. Okay. Well, yeah, go ahead. No, it's okay. You haven't talked for a while. It's going to get cut anyway. What what I was going to say is whenever the actor, producer, director, star that combination usually worries me because what they do is instead of like servicing the movie and the character it feels like they're servicing themselves and maybe Mm -hmm. this is like a preconceived notion going in so i look for it more but i felt like he paid weight i know he's the main character but it was too much on him it was too many scenes of just fucking kevin costner just you know acting it up or whatever he's doing it needed to be less. He needed to cut so much fat from this. But I feel like as the star d- director, whatever, the same thing happened in this new movie with George Clooney. I can't st- – something with the stars. But it happens a lot when the director is the star. Like yeah. Annie Hall? <laughs> yes. <laughs> they pay I mean, too much attention to themselves. I will, uh, counter, I will counter that with – the extended cut adds an additional hour to this film. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like they did a good job cutting. <laughs> no, that was that hour that was ripped out was purely their their um, editors being like, "Listen, we gotta take it out. It yeah. has to be less." <laughs> and Cosner was like, "I'm just gonna release an extended version then." <laughs> I'm looking now for actor directors that are actually in good movies. Clint Eastwood, maybe. But um, uh, but going off of that, I messaged. I think I said. Uh, to you guys yesterday while I was watching this film that this is like it's it's it feels like it's just a love letter written to himself he even um, narrates I, the goddamn thing <laughs> and, but he narrates it as if he's reading his own words which is in which is so infuriating throughout this entire film he's talking in this monotone and then I was approached the next day by my neighbors and they were good people and I enjoyed talking with them well he he literally was though it was his journal entries I, but but come on like the all the whole time really this is three hours long don't play don't play the same song I, continuously <laughs> and then also don't talk in a monotone voice like it, it's almost like he read the book and was like i love this book i'm gonna make it a movie and his wife's like really can you like, do something else and he's like i'll show you it's gonna be great <laughs> we're, de- we're delving into mics theory behind the movie <laughs> Mrs. Costner is an active against the creation <laughs> I'm just saying somebody should have stopped it 
Do you think uh, Kevin Costner would like have breakfast with his wife in the morning talking about the plot <laughs> and like the, the buffalo chasing scene with like salt <laughs> shakers and like forks like saying at the buffalo run through here and then I'm here and I flip my side up and this buffalo is charging. Uh, what's her name? No, I, I would not be surprised if this movie was not in the court documents that led to his first divorce. Jesus Christ. <laughs> what? This is why Waterworld failed. <laughs> okay. I will say, it's not a bad movie. There's so, Especially there's some points where I didn't expect it because I was kind of actively being combative against the movie, but it really got me at my heartstrings. Like, the whole storyline with the wolf I really liked. And that's just because anything with dogs. You're, yeah, well, let's, the not, audience let's is not gonna... skip ahead too far because we've got two hours of film before we get to that. <laughs> um, I Before we move on, I do – we kind of skimmed over like the, the crazy major at Fort Hayes. And that was one of the like most confusing but best parts of the movie is that this guy has just – gone batshit i don't know why but it adds so much color to the movie where he like takes on a, the character of a baron sending no. out his knight errant <laughs> talking in a british accent and then just kills himself and i don't know why before and, right after pissing himself right yeah he's he pisses himself and then oh my god i read and that I, as like extreme ptsd like, mm. he probably saw some shit, and then they were like, okay, you go ahead and command this remote outpost. Like, we get it. You've been through some shit. Yeah, and then, I mean. Uh, it just uh, comes to a head. Man, they, they took I, the cowardly major and just dialed it up to 11, though. <laughs> I I don't think that's an unreasonable interpretation, June, but there's also, like, no real supporting evidence for anything about this guy. <laughs> you just show up, and he's, like, batshit. All they needed like, was a simple character to go, I'm sending you to Sedgwick. Like, you think you're all good because you get to go where you want? Well, I'm sending you out to nowhere. Stamp, go. But Dunbar, he had to tie off his own loose strings. But Dunbar <laughs> wanted to go out there. That's I think that was that played more into what the, the Major was saying. When Dunbar showed up, he's like, I want this post. And the Major's like, you think I'm stupid? Nobody wants that post. Who the hell would want to be out in the middle of fucking nowhere? By the way, I've pissed myself. <laughs> and there's yeah, nothing I, you can do about it <laughs> you know it kind of feels like he killed himself just because the plot dictated he needed to oh, i thought you like, said because he pissed himself <laughs> it's like that's pretty extreme uh, i mean is it more or less extreme than doing it just because the plot dictates oh. no, this whole movie was extreme but i would yeah. Let me just take this time to point out, like, it seemed like this first section dragged on and, and whatnot, but, like, you know, we've been recording for almost 30 minutes. Like, there was oh, actually yeah. a lot of substance there, you know? Yeah. Should move on. I, I think there's more in the back half of the movie. I'd say it's a solid back half movie, but the front nine on this movie's weak. Uh, there's there's a there's a lot in the middle half, too. What are you going to do about that, June? He just called you well, out. I only have so many golf terms I can use. There's no middle par. Or no middle round. That par is the word. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take us forward, Mike. All right. So soon after he gets out to the fort and he kind of sets up, he um, has his first encounter with the, with the, the Sioux tribe that's nearby. Um, the first encounter is 
they try to steal his horse. And I'm, I'm actually going to go pretty quick through this. Um, they try to steal his horse and they try to intimidate him. So there's a couple meetings with the Sioux tribe while he's uh, he's kind of getting his bearings of the land. Um, he decides that instead of being a target by the Sioux, he's going to reach out to them and try to make contact himself before they come and try to take his horse again. I think they try like three times or two times. so Or three times, actually. So Dunbar, on his way to find the Sioux tribe to introduce himself, finds a woman who is underneath a tree dressed in Sioux clothing who has just tried to uh, kill herself by slitting her wrists. Um she panics when she sees him and ends up passing out, and he brings this woman to the tribe, who drag her back, and apparently she's part of their tribe. Uh, she's obviously a, a white uh, Caucasian, and uh, but 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 speaks the, the 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 language of the Sioux. So the Sioux decide in the, in their tribal meetings, and the elders decide that they need to go and talk to Dunbar to in order to establish a relationship as well because more and more white people are still are coming out into the frontier and they need to figure out how many are coming and what Dunbar can provide them as far as uh, information about the white people. So we have this back and forth with the Sioux coming to visit Dunbar and they're trying to communicate. Obviously, they don't, they don't speak each other's languages, so there's a language barrier. Um, but they manage to uh, create a kind of a, um, a, a growing friendship between the tribe and Dunbar. Uh at the same time, the uh, a wolf uh, shows up at his camp, and it's a, a single wolf. And Dunbar is tries to make friends with the wolf as well. He's he's in love with the frontier. He's in love with the the land, the people, and the uh, the animals. So, jumping a little bit forward because there's a lot of slow kind of pace in the film at this point. But essentially, what happens is they end up accepting Dunbar into the tribe. Uh, the woman who he found that was trying to commit suicide was a um, she was part of a prairie family who were attacked by Pawnee Indians and were her family were murdered when she was a young girl and so she was raised by the Sioux tribe. Um, she remembers a bit of English, but not a lot, but she's able to translate uh, the between Dunbar and uh, this the some of the members of the Sioux tribe. Uh, one of them, the main one being his good friend uh, later in the film, is a I forgot his name. Three bears? Ten bears. Ten bears. Yeah, so he... No, that's not ten bears, is it? No, ten bears is the, the elder. Are you talking about wind in his hair? Wind in his hair. Yeah. So wind in his hair is the holy man of the village, and he's kind of... Oh, no, you're talking about kicking bird. He, so wind in, so two guys, there, there's a fierce one that was trying to intimidate Dunbar. His name was wind in his hair, and there is the, the holy man who is trying to open a communication with, with Dunbar, and his name is um, kicking... Bird. Kicking bird. And uh, they create a good friendship between the two of them. And, and even Wind in His Hair ends up coming around as well. Um, Dunbar even names the bear, or the uh, the wolf that's been coming to him two socks because he has two white paws. Um, the Sioux, uh, you know, accept Dunbar into the tribe, even give him a Sioux name. Uh, he becomes Dances with Wolves because of his relationship with two socks. And Dunbar ends up helping them through a bunch of ordeals. He he helps them find the buffalo who Stampede passes his um, camp or his fort. And also, he helps the tribe defend against the Pawnee who do an attack while the warriors are out trying to wage war. Um, all while falling in love with, stands with Fist who is the, the woman that uh, the Caucasian woman who's raised by the Sioux. Yeah, that's a good, good start. Probably a pretty good point. Yeah. So I liked... A couple things in in this portion. Um, the f one of them being they they do a good point of driving 
the differences again between the Pawnee and the Sioux, um, really solidifying the Pawnee as the villains, whether, you know, perspective, right? But there's a specific, like, council meeting, I guess you could call it, um, where they're talking about what to do about Dunbar. And they're very cautious. Um, you know, I think the, the chief is like, you know, you got to be uh, killing a white man is like a is a um, like cockroaches. <laughs> no, he's like, it's like he it's not it's not man. just like a simple thing yeah you know like yeah. um there's consequences to it you know honestly that that is one of the things that frustrated me most about it it felt like such a such a trope to have like the natives but bad and natives but good you know like uh, I, yeah. I, it felt cheap to me it felt like pretty reductionist of culture and i do realize that when this movie came out a lot of sue said they were like this is you know some of the best uh representation of our our people and our culture but it also feels like a little cheap when you like just chuck another whole tribe like into the <laughs> the money were like hey wait yeah, what the fuck no, man why did <laughs> the sue got more money or something they even like do mohawks and war paint in every scene meanwhile like the sioux are like wearing more conventional clothing and have more you know uh socially acceptable I, or like expected now, haircuts. Now hold on i mean i think that's a dangerous road to go down unless you know what the traditional pawnee garb is and the traditional sioux garb is i don't think that's a well quite well, relevant I, I think it's pretty safe to say it is not good representation that they're just murdering everyone i'm but but it, it does it does kind of reference that the Sioux were doing the same thing. They just decided in this one scenario to befriend Dunbar. I guess it's not quite fair to be like the Pawnee, you know, because yeah. from the beginning, it seemed like they that particular like band of people were uh, kind of rogue. Even the even the Pawnee guys who are with that guy said he's going to he's not going to stop until we're all dead. Yeah. So it they, they established pretty early that they were rogue. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. or like attempted to. Well, and and also, you know, it's it's interesting that this film started with a civil war between the Confederates and the Unions, and now we have a civil war essentially between the Pawnee and the Sioux. Right? They're both Native American tribes on the plains who are warring with each other. I can see that. A little different, but I, I can see the lines. I like it. Sorry, what um, was that again? I was reading about historic Pawnee Sioux relations. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, let me. I, Okay, go ahead. Sorry, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, were, were the white people the only ones not able to comb their hair in this film? Because every white person had, like, crazy hair, and everybody else managed to have, like, well-kept hair. Like These are the questions that <laughs> reviewers of cinema <laughs> have asked for years. <laughs> had just crazy hair the entire hair? time, while Kicking Bird's hair was gorgeous, well-kept, D- did she not have access to the same hair products as he did? Mike and June and I are discussing about whether this movie is fair representation of the Sioux and Pawnee, and <laughs> Shane swoops in with, so what about white people's hair? So <laughs> Shane has a good point. I mean, one of his characters is called Wind in His Hair, like, and he's got beautiful hair. It's beautiful hair, but everyone else just can't comb their fucking hair for 10 seconds. It's driving me crazy. Okay, let me let me do a gripe real quick. Gripe, zero um, gripe. At, at some point, we see a shot of Dunbar's journal, um, and it's littered with 
uh, like brilliant illustrations, like very good <laughs> color yes. drawings, right? Yes. This is well, my graph too. In the beginning, why the fuck didn't he just draw a damn buffalo instead of dancing <laughs> around like a jackass? Trying to describe like charades this buffalo. <laughs> like, that, that's like that was like a fifteen minute scene. Yeah. Where he's just crawling around, and they're like, Ugh. and you see it from like three perspectives: from the hill way over, yeah, and then like ten minutes down as he tries to do it. I thought the same thing. Like, why doesn't he draw things, or why don't they start with like something they have there, like a horse, sort of playing charades? And, and why get, is he so excellent at drawing? That man is like he's, he could he can make illustrations for books. I know. I was just thinking about like if I had a journal, just be stick figures and have names over them. <laughs> Dunbar holding hands with a <laughs> kicking bird. Um, <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna critique things, I got a critique or not a critique. I have a uh, I have a gripe. So my gripe is when he first gets there and he's setting up camp. There's he goes over a ridge and there's like like a bunch of wagon uh, debris, like something exploded. Um, doesn't really explain what happened, but he talks about caves. There's a scene where he's like digging around and he's filling in a cave and he says. I don't know why these caves are here. People were living in them. And for the life of me, I can't, like, figure out the clues to figure out why. And then it never talks about it again. I thought those were shitters. <laughs> <laughs> I literally thought they took shitters in the side of the hill so they could, like, poop in peace. And Dunbar's like, what are these? <laughs> Honestly, there was a lot of shitting in rivers in this movie. And I was really concerned about, like... <laughs> No, but why was that necessary? Was that just like a... Does the extended version go into that? Like, is that the hour? These caves are haunted? (laughs) (laughs) It might. So I I read briefly about the extended version, and it adds some things. And like, you know, for example, it shows that the garrison of this fort is like leaving at the same time he comes in, just out through a different valley. Yeah, so So, there's uh. stuff like that that closes up some plot holes but so, so they trimmed that out that would have been actually cool but they didn't trim out the stupid cave scene like three hour movie you can cut the cave scene yeah i i don't know i mean honestly the caves are probably there just so he could bury the guns just so he could find oh, them again did later he put him in there yeah, yeah he, he buried him or something thought he buried him with a bone i think that's important for the plot so at one point he takes a bunch of the amu like the uh the spare guns and ammunition that he brought and decides to hide them before they get stolen and he goes out into the into the plains and i guess the caves and buries all of this stuff and marks it with a bone oh this also reminds me this was the part of the film where i would rename the film concussion <laughs> he hits his oh, head right? so many times <laughs> he, he, he gets up to defend himself and runs into the door so hard that he sleeps all night <laughs> that's a bad concussion <laughs> and we'll come back to this in the in the tale of the movie, but this man must have serious and lasting brain trauma. Just chronic oh, yeah. headaches. <laughs> That's why he doesn't all... talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after all he's been through. I think the, the last thing I have to say about this section, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, but the soundtrack was kind of weird in that it didn't feel very modern, I guess. Maybe I'm accustomed to movies where, like, the soundtrack goes with the movie beat by beat scene like in every scene and this one it kind of felt like they they had a track and they just played it for the duration of a scene so i agree you you got something that was like overall kind of thematic but often felt pretty like disjointed with the actual what was going on at screen from time to time 
Yeah, it's unfortunate that it was the same song the entire time. <laughs> I, I also feel like this movie was like right in the middle ground between like it looks new enough to feel modern, but it's actually fairly old and the cinematography and score kind of reflect that too. 30 years old now, right? Yeah. Yeah. It does look a little aged and feel a little aged, but that's not what its about, fault. So as far as like a movie being aged, was this film made before animal like protection rights in films? Like, so I have I, a, I have a I'm comment sure about they, that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they fucked those bison up. Yeah. Many bison so, were hurt. <laughs> so let me, I'll go into some trivia on this. Um, to set the stage, he you mentioned he sees a bunch of buffalo uh, charge through his camp. He hurriedly runs to the Sioux, and they're like, he's like, fucking buffalo. Um, they beat the shit out of him. <laughs> they jump him. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, they do. Um, <laughs> and then they go on this big hunting party, and they like crest a hill, and there's just like hundreds of slain buffalo corpses that were killed and just taken for their fur uh, and left to rot, which was a real thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they move on and they and they find the the rest of the herd. At one hour and twenty nine minutes, you can see a buffalo calf trip and just get fucking stampeded. <laughs> yes, you saw yeah, it too. The bank. It gets mm-hmm. obliterated. It jumps yeah. into the bank. God, I had to rewind that. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, it trips like on like a ditch, and the other buffalo just run it over. Yeah, yep. but. Uh, some trivia on that scene. So that was the like the world's largest um, privately owned herd of buffalo. There were upwards of thirty five hundred. Antelope Island. No, it was owned by South Dakota rancher Roy Houck. How do you rent thirty five hundred buffalo for a day? I don't know. Man. Probably cheaper than you would think. <laughs> <laughs> buffalo rates are just through the floor this year. <laughs> All the buffalo that you saw, like, get hit by arrows and shit, those were actually stuffed uh, dummies. Oh, okay. So no actual oh. buffalo were, like, fucking intentionally hurt. Yeah, that's hard to believe. Those were, for first, for 1990, that looked pretty goddamn real. Those things were tripping. Like, well. Yeah, I mean, presumably they did that to themselves, but. Um, <laughs> well, because, you know, in old movies, like, horse tripping was a thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but none none of that happened here. But there were two two star buffalo. Uh, one was named Mammoth, who was owned by Neil Young. <laughs> God <laughs> damn it! And uh, the other one was Cody, who was addicted to Oreos. Apparently, um, aren't we all? He, he that, died is that of what diabetes. Yeah, and so for like the close up scenes where uh, buffalo is getting hit by an uh, arrows. Um, it was like a rig that made it look like it was gonna is getting hit by arrows and shit. Huh. Um, and then the buffalo that charges the the kid that was uh that was Cody and he was made to charge with an Oreo. That scene <laughs> made me laugh a little bit as a like the this um this Sue kid is getting charged with the buffalo right, and so Kevin Costner of course has to save her and him. 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 Sorry. Um, children, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ambiguous children. <laughs> so um, he takes one shot, takes another, and then for his last shot, he flips up the long range sight on his lever action rifle and then just snapshots through it. I'm like, what? How does how does this make you more accurate? Know, whatever. <laughs> well, his shit was off zero the whole time, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> So the third shot, <laughs> yeah, third shot was like, oh shit, 
That's why. Oh. Well, I have a, on top of that, I want to know who the fuck this unnamed m- mute of a Sioux child is that is, like, throughout the entire film, this kid is there. And he's is always, that? he's staring creepily at, like, everything. Smiles like, he's there a lot, at that right? scene. Does that smiles a lot? Yeah, he smiles a lot. And in real oh life, God, I think I his name is, guy. like, Ted. Nathan Lee chasing his horse. Chasing yeah. his horse. There it was. Yeah, and no, I mean, he smiles a lot. What the fuck is that guy's problem? What? He's a child oh, actor. Just getting in trouble? No, he he doesn't. He, he like so he he stood there while he's being charged by the buffalo. Later on in the film, he stands there while he gets smacked in the face by a sergeant. Like I'm pretty sure the kid's taken more concussions than Dunbar. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Dunbar got <laughs> smacked around by everything. If you um, could get hit by it, he has been. What are we talking about now? <laughs> <laughs> Have we talked um, about their marriage? Should we finish the plot real quick? Just, just, just get us out of here, Mike. <laughs> All right, we got we got an hour left. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this movie has some serious Return of the King uh, syndrome too. Like the movie keeps going even after the conflict, like the yes. major conflict ends. Yeah, it, it, it had one of those. It could have ended. It could have ended. It could have ended. Um, all right, Why so are we still here. Yeah, go on. So Dunbar and um, Stannis with Fist are end up falling in love, and but she, according to the Sioux tradition, is not allowed to stop mourning her dead husband, which I didn't talk about. Her husband said that's why she's kind of trying to kill herself. Unimportant. Um, so Dunbar <laughs> and her fall in love. And... Was her husband the major? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it was Timmons. So, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, anyway, so so um, Scans with this lives with kicks, Kicking Bird, and Kicking Bird has to essentially give her the permission to get over her mourning so that she can marry Dunbar, um, which he does. And so Dunbar and uh, Scans with Fist get married by Sioux tradition. And at this point, Dunbar is 100%. He's ditched his post. He is now part of the Sioux tribe and living with them. Dunbar decides to tell Kicking Bird that the white people are going to continue to come and that it's it's bad news for the Sioux. The tribe at this good decides to move to their winter camp for the uh, for the rest of the season. But Dunbar, as he's leaving, remembers that he left his journal back at the fort that has uh, essentially a road map to the Sioux tribe. So he goes back to find it and grab it while the rest of the Sioux move to the winter camp. When he gets back to the fort, a new division of um, the army has now moved in and sees him riding across the plain dressed as a Sioux warrior and attack him and kill his horse and knocks him on the ground and capture him. Poor Costco. (laughs) Poor Costco. So they don't believe that he is uh, a, a lieutenant in the army. Uh, but he says that his his journal's there that will prove everything, which is strange because he's going back to get the journal to stop the army from finding the Sioux, and then he tries to use the journal to save his own life. Anyways, so Dunbar can't find his journal, and the people who ended up showing up there first are a couple of um, uh, uh, privates who are illiterate, and they're using the journal as toiletry, and they don't turn it into the uh, the 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 officers of the army division that has come to take over the fort. As they're transporting Dunbar to be tried and hung, the Sioux sent back a couple of scouts to find out what happened to him and saw that he'd been captured. So they came back with a, was a small raiding party and attack his caravan, saving him and then bringing him to the uh, winter village where then Dunbar decides that 
they're not going to stop looking for him, and so he makes the honorable choice to leave the Sioux for some fucking reason, and he takes his wife, <laughs> and they, they like, go. Uh, as they're leaving, he gets the journal, which right then and there, he should have been like, hey, I got the journal, I don't need to go. But nope, he's, he's made his decision, so he leaves with his wife to go back to white society, and at the very end, it shows the, the U.S. Army kind of tracking him down, and that's it. That is it. Yeah, you you said that in 45 seconds, but that was 30 minutes of the movie after he's rescued, but before... Um, yeah, this the part of the movie really lost me. I got, I got kind of mad. So, okay. So, speaking of scenes that were just too long, so the wolf follows him, and the army soldiers shoot Ugh. the wolf. But they're spending 15 goddamn minutes just lobbing shots at this thing. Just torturing us. I oh. know, right? Like, why... Do we need five minutes of this scene? Oh. Well, how about the scene where he hooks up with, stands with Fist and just really gets in there? Just like he, he's a motorboated son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> or the scene where he's sleeping in the the lodge and... Uh, he watches the chief. <laughs> yeah, Kicking Bird and his wife are getting down and he just stares at him for like... <laughs> Gives him a thumbs life. up. Yeah. Two minutes. He's <laughs> like, dude, look away. <laughs> Don't make this weird. <laughs> um, speaking of a scene, though, this movie's long-winded with everything it does, except her being released from mourning. He walks up and he goes, you are no longer mourning. And then he walks away. And I was like, wait a minute. No speech. No, like, sit down. Let me talk. Nope. Just so it's done. Bye. So there was, there, I got no tenseness throughout this whole film, but like they started to set up at like actual controversy. I think uh, before this last uh, third of the movie that we described, we were talking about how the Pawnee attacked the, the tribe while the raiding party was out. Like all the, mm-hmm. the men had gone out to have war and uh, Dunbar went back and, and he, he got the guns and he gave it to the, to the people so that they could defend themselves, which ended up making the whole difference. And instead of them losing the fight, they ended up killing the Pawnee. But this is another part of the film where, like, they set up this whole thing since the beginning of the film. You talked about how it showed this guy being this evil, like, Pawnee guy, and the Pawnee are going to come in and, like, kill the Sioux. Like, this tension was established, but it never, like, came through. Like, this whole, like, every time in this film that they try to set up, like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be a big part of the film. This is going to be the climax. Never happened. Like, I've really left, like, wanting... Did anybody else get that? Did you guys feel like like this was kind of like it was tugging you along? It never really got tense? Yeah, I think it was just too quick. Um, it was like the you kind of expected this point to be like have some tragedy in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like like a main character dies yeah, or, like or something. Or something yeah. yeah, something that really kind of solidifies like it, like this needed to happen, but it, it really it really didn't. It was just like, oh, yeah, we have guns now, so like they ain't gonna do anything at the very end they did it again they showed the the army like tracking them through the winter and they're like and it showed dunbar and and is and stands with fist leaving the village and it's like oh shit like they're gonna get caught in the pass or somebody's gonna be there and then suddenly like there's a dude up on top of the cliff but it's just fucking wind in his hair like yelling about how he's his friend i was waiting for him to get shot or something right nope I can almost forgive that because, you know, we all kind of through history know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think at the risk of extending this for another two hours, I think it was a good- You gotta good, make a little bit of drama, right? Like, it's a yeah, film. Yeah, it, 
I think the ending was was okay. Uh, I think they closed the the loop from the more significant conflict, which was like the exception of, of or accepting Dunbar because with wind in his hair, um, they they really one for one basically uh, did the line again, but this time with friend instead of enemy. Yeah. Um, what I had an issue with was the the way the military like treated this dude. Like the beginning, the, the first interaction I can forgive. Right, random Indian uh, guy dressed in Indian garb shows up mm-hmm. um, from a distance. Like, okay, I get it. Um, after that point, though, you know, I feel like you should let the man talk before potentially beating the shit out of a commissioned officer. <laughs> they kind of fall into the trope of just like no nuance when it comes to the military on that side. I mean, not that you need much. Like, obviously, atrocities are terrible this. But yeah, they didn't even give him a chance to be like, hey, 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 I know where the village is. Or, well, hey, it, are it you can't okay? Be, <laughs> it, it can't be the fact that they don't like Native Americans because later at the very end, they're working with Pawnee who have now become part of the tracking group. So they have some kind of relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's... It it feels like this movie just went so far out of its way to make the villains bad. Yeah. Like the, the Pawnee and the U.S. Army in the, the tail end of the movie are like killing every dog they see. They're like, <laughs> you know, using his journal as toilet paper. And it felt like it was just gratuitous almost. It, it, it was way, way over gratuitous. the top. That's a good like, word for it. Like it didn't need to go that far to convince us they're bad. Yeah, we already know. How it is, yeah, yeah. Well, it would have been more enjoyable, I think, to see uh, more of an internal struggle with Dunbar's character. Like, you know, this is like the military. Like, I am part of this organization, but also like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like an internal conflict versus like him just being literally saying, yeah, those guys needed to die. Yeah. See, that's interesting because at the very, when he first gets to his fort, he's all about, this is my post. These are my orders. I need to be yes, here. And exactly. then like 20, 20 days later. Fuck that place. I got a wife. Like, I'm a Sioux now. It's only been like eight months. That's true. Yeah. I thought they were going to do that with the officer, the other lieutenant, because he was like kind of a nice guy. And I thought he was going to be nice to Dunbar and they were going to talk. And he yeah, was going to exactly. kind of yep. see the life and be like, man, that does sound great. You know, but I made an oath or, you know, something that draws him in. And then like he has to decide to kill the guy or not because he's not going to let him go, you know, because he's a man of his word or something like yeah you know there should have been a little more conflict for dunbar there like we should see like this is the moment to turn to like summarize this movie within the character's actions and it was just kind of like yeah yeah you you would think with a three-hour film they would have enough time to be able to end the movie not on a like a cliffhanger like like he just leaves like he's still being hunted by the u.s army and he's just like we got to go back to white people and explain ourselves and then there's an epilogue where it's like, 13 years later, the last remnants of the Free Sioux are gone. He failed in his the mission. End. <laughs> yeah. Also, what kind of like rationale is that? Like, I get wanting to leave to not like lead the army to the, the Sioux, but also you just want to go and explain yourself? Yeah, or, he really like, thinks that they're going to stop tracking the Sioux because he's not in them anymore? <laughs> you know, legitimately you know, it, that? at least in the remake, um, Last Samurai, he had like some kind of conclusion <laughs> at the end where he met the emperor, right? That's true. Also, like, 
It's it's a bit of a stretch to say the United States Army is going to waste resources on tracking one dude in the <laughs> fucking frontier. Yeah, because he. Yeah. I'm going to tell you this right now. He's probably not the first officer to abandon his post, and well, they, that they, probably happened more like, than we thought. They didn't make a big deal about it, really. You know, it's like, hey, we're taking you back to Fort whatever, uh, so that you can be tried. It didn't go beyond that, you know, like. Fucking Lincoln wasn't over there like, I want this man brought to justice. <laughs> yeah, this was a local affair. No, it's, it's the the general at the very beginning. He used up my, my last, my last, uh... He used ambulance. my last ambulance, ambulance on him. <laughs> I won his head, and he killed my best major. <laughs> Bullshit, he shot himself and pissed himself. He was murdered. <laughs> Also, there were just some some nitpicky things. Um, just jumping back to when they fight off the attack by the Pawnee. He, uh, oh man, what the hell? Uh, so stands with a fist, blows a guy out of a teepee, and he does the Wilhelm scream. Uh, <laughs> John Dunbar dances with wolves, runs out of uh, rounds in his handgun. Uh. And yeah. just chucks it in a river. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> I mean, like, we, we just made the point that, like, you know, with a gun, one warrior fights his two, and it turns the tide, and you just yeet this thing <laughs> into a running water. Don't whatever. put it in your belt. Just huck it. <laughs> like, I get that it's a hurry, but you can find, you can tuck it in your shirt, you can throw it on the land. <laughs> and then sorry I, this all just came back to me with the the pawnee attack the last of the pawnee is on his horse and they've got him surrounded and then you know he lets out this war cry and they all shoot him it's like circular firing squads are a joke <laughs> not, <laughs> not something <laughs> yeah I, was, I saw that too and thank god he was up on a horse so the elevation at least was higher than the rest of everybody else <laughs> yeah their muscle awareness was a little sketchy. That's a little, <laughs> well, a little poor. Yeah, he comes back with these guns and just like hands them out, and they they know what to do with them. I guess they didn't even they didn't even have a montage of like they should have had one of those like training montages where they mm-hmm. had like a bunch of hail bays set up with like Union coats on them and shit. Let's get down to business. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> to, to defeat. defeat. The pony. <laughs> God damn it. I, I have an issue with the marriage, and this is a small issue. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> when they get married and they're supposed to consummate, he's like, they're like, go consummate your marriage or whatever. So they all stand around the tent yelling at it. That's um, tradition. There's no way they could consummate this marriage with drums Listen, we already and watched, screaming. We, we've already watched Fiddler. We know what tradition is. So what I found weird about their marriage is at this point, uh, Dunbar dances with wolves, has a, a passing, uh, you know, fluency in Lakota, but they kind of do their vows or whatever in English, both of them, for some reason, in a Sioux wedding. I, so they I, keep it a secret. When, when they said yes to each other. <laughs> Well, his whole like monotone way he handled everything, like this dude's a psychopath. They like it's a simple man he, and his horse. No, he's like even when he's describing like during the the Pawnee attack and even after that where he's killing the the white men and he like they're always talking to him. He's like, 
It was a good thing that we killed those people. But his face is like, there's no emotion. Like, his eyes are dead. Yeah, he doesn't really. Dunbar's, Dunbar's soulless. No, that's not a result of the movie. That's just Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner's (laughs) failure. You know, I went back and forth on this movie with the acting thinking like, yeah, he's, this is pretty well portrayed. Like, I like how it's not overstated. He's kind of, you know, acting as if he were someone who was out by himself. He's not like going crazy. He's pretty level-headed. But then it's just like, no, he's too level-headed now. Like, this is, (laughs) this is just what I was doing the entire movie. I was thinking like, yeah, this, in this scene, this, this element is pretty good. And then, like, three scenes later, it's the exact same thing. I'm like, this is not going well. Like, this is <laughs> this is too much or too little. Or, like, the the part that should be subtle is shouted, and the, the part that should be shouted is way too subtle. And They should have yeah. put Nick Cage in this. Could <laughs> 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 have really brought some pizzazz to the, the role. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to see that. I, uh, that'd, be, that'd be next week's prompt. Well, we've covered the whole movie. I think we've I think we've choked this chicken. <laughs> what? Is there anything else you all want to go over before we start talking about reception, box office type stuff? So this did we kind of mentioned this earlier. This did kind of have a unusual road to being made into a movie. It was written as a script back in the mid '80s, and Kevin Costner really liked it. It was his buddy's uh, pitch, essentially. That explains a lot. And when it didn't go anywhere, he he encouraged the guy, Michael Blake, to turn it into a novel to improve its chances of being produced. And then it got rejected by a bunch of publishers, then was finally uh, published in paperback. Hold and on. Then, so this this was this was a script yes. that was tried to made into a novel. So the script failed. It was made into a novel. What the? F- I thought it was a book first. And then... Uh, Kevin Costner just bought the rights to the book. So like this movie, you probably could have skipped a few uh, plot convolutions in the production, too. I wonder if his buddy um, got any money when Costner did that, or if he just screwed his buddy out of all the box office, because he's like, I own it now. He just got uh, him to do all the hard work. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so they had trouble raising money for it at one point. The Western genre was pretty dead at this point. I think uh, Blazing Saddles killed it all. Um, what is this, 90? 90? 1990, yeah. Oh, yeah, Tombstone's, what, 95? Yeah, so this movie is kind of responsible for the revival. But yeah, so at one point, the production ran over and Costner had to pay out of pocket for it. So all in all, uh, I think it cost about, yeah, it cost $22 million, you know, in, in 1990 dollars. Immediate success, though, brought in over $420 million worldwide. So super uh, big. And... I think like 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. So overall, well-received. There were, I think some of the reviews of the portrayal of Native Americans were a little mixed. You know, like we mentioned, the Sioux were very happy with it and uh, adopted Kevin Costner as an honorary member of the, the Sioux Nation. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. And then as far as the Academy Awards uh, went, it really cleaned up house. I think it won seven academy awards including best picture director uh screenplay score a one score uh cinematography and best sound and kevin costner was uh nominated for best actor graham green uh or um kicking bird was nominated for best supporting actor as was mary mcdonald yeah definitely well regarded by the world and the people of imbd 
But now comes for the uh, the point in the show where we offer our own rankings as to where we think this movie falls in the list. Of all the movies we've seen thus far, where does it rank? June, where do you put it? Oh, shit. Come back to me. <laughs> Shane, where do you put it? Um, I'm going to put this just above a straight story and under Rosemary's Baby at 19. I That's yeah. It's pretty low. Jesus. Yeah. Did you fall asleep in this one? I wish I did. I, I think I've gotten past my narcolepsy phase. <laughs> I was going to say, you haven't fallen asleep <laughs> in a movie for a while. But usually when that happened, we had to tell you about everything that happened in the movie. So I wish I could have slept through this one because you guys could have filled me in real quick. <laughs> God. Mike, where do you put it? It's up to me on my pick of where the movie goes. Someone there with you, Mike? Not my wife. Well, you can't outsource your rating. <laughs> <laughs> this whole list is a travesty. <laughs> hey, Siri, pick right. a number between 1 and 28. <laughs> All right. So I think that this uh, this was actually was a really good movie. Um, I liked it, but I felt like it was way too long. I think you could have made this movie an hour 45 tops. And if it were an hour 45 tops, I think it would have been a lot higher on my list. But even so, it's going to go between The Martian and Blood Diamond, which I got kind of the same feel from. Um, so that's number eight for, no, that's number nine for me. Okay. Interesting. You know, I was also kind of mixed. I feel like on the high level, like the, the, the overall notes of this movie, I like, but getting into the, the nitty gritty of it, it was rough. I kind of voiced my, my gripes about the way it, it kind of played into some tropes that I don't really like, like the, the noble savage thing and sort of a white savior thing with the the white man showing up to save the day um but also there were moments that i really liked and i thought it was sort of profound at times so it kind of falls in the middle for me um i think at um i think at number 13 for me just below the king's speech and just ahead of who's ahead of virginia wolf i feel like i'm gonna regret that in a few weeks but that's i've spoken that's where i'm putting it it's okay. Welcome to my list. <laughs> Jesus. Welcome to my list. Mike, your list confuses me. <laughs> I stand by it. You didn't even like Maltese Falcon. It's number four. Mike <laughs> <laughs> Green is one of the movies he disliked higher than any. <laughs> All right. June, where do you rank this one? So I really like this movie, but I think... The, the pacing brought it down quite a bit. Um, it was also not the first time I've seen it, so it, it didn't help that I already knew what was ha- going to happen. I, I think that would have quelled some of the uh, the long scenes just for the anticipation. Um, that being said, I'm, I'm going to throw it at number six between Fiddler on the Roof and Kill Bill Volume 2. You like oh. it more than Rio Bravo? Yeah, yeah. I think th- overall, I think the writing was good. The uh, there were scenes in there where I I, I was laughing out loud. Um, between some of the interactions, uh, there were sad moments, and I think that the overall story was solid. Just the the production lacked uh, quite a bit. I, yeah, I think we can all agree that this movie was not tight. No. Yeah. So this and, was the first time I've seen this movie, and I yeah I agree 100%. Me watching it, I thought there was going to be a lot more, and that's actually kind of a disappointment for me that there wasn't more. Yeah, I mean, I want to like this movie more than I do. Yep, that's how I feel. 
But anyway, final verdict. Uh, do you recommend watching it? Uh, June. I do. Like, get ready for it, but, I mean, you know, prepare yourself for it, but I recommend it. Shane? I I feel weird saying this, but n- no. I don't see what all the hubbub is about. I mean, it's not a bad movie, but it's not like, not like, oh my god, it changed my life. This is, everyone needs to see this. No, I mean, you're, you're okay. You've probably seen <laughs> Avatar, so you already know. <laughs> Mike? Yeah, I'm going to agree with Shane. If you want to watch this movie, but more fun, just watch Avatar. It's just as long. (laughs) Just watch James Cameron's movie instead. Honestly, when you put it that way, like when everyone knows the story of this movie from a dozen different movies, when everyone knows how the story goes, in, in the case of Avatar, like beat for beat, then all that's left is like really good acting and production. And this one was just okay in acting and production. That's not fair to say, though, because this was the first. (laughs) Well, yeah, but, you know, the the, it's 2021, right? Like, people are, they're not hopping in their time machine and, like, men in blacking their memory away of every movie they've seen (laughs) between 1990 and today. Men in blacking. It's a verb. I think if we, I think if we learned anything from Sleuth is that it can be better. Well, okay, we're not we're not going to go that far. Okay, let's. <laughs> we did not learn anything from two sleuths. <laughs> oh Jesus! I didn't even get the joke. God damn it! <laughs> now I get it. God damn it! All right. Well, thanks for joining everyone. It's been. Uh... Wait, do you recommend it or not? Oh, I I gotta say no. I I, I feel like Ooh. if you know you're going to like it you'll go and watch it anyway but if you're like on the fence about this and needing me of all people to tell you whether it's good or not don't don't bother it's not skip it don't be so down on yourself (laughs) your opinion matters i mean i'm i'm a film critic with these three so it's not exactly (laughs) like i'm in the big leagues hey this is a international podcast you watch your tone <laughs> one of our reviewers will reliably not even watch the whole movie just wait until we post i wouldn't say humius but go back and add advertisements into every podcast what what was the word you said what was that word <laughs> yeah well what the fuck i don't know what you're talking about postscriptum <laughs> did you say humius <laughs> quick delete your podcast delete your recording <laughs> You miss humanus, humanimus. So you did an amalgamation of two non-existent words. <laughs> did you mean hubris? Only Shane can split the difference on two words that don't even exist. <laughs> anyway, next week's movie is Magnolia from 1999. Oh, all right. I think it's from 1999. Tom Cruise. Well, it's been great, everyone. Bye. Wait, is it stealing magnolias or magnolias? God damn it, Shane. <laughs> Oh.